Let's uh, read uh, Zechariah uh, chapter 5, and then we'll pray, and then we'll look into these two uh, interesting visions. Uh, Zechariah chapter 5, a flying scroll and a woman in an ephod. Then I lifted up my eyes again and saw, and behold, a flying scroll. And he said to me, what do you see? And I said, I see a flying scroll. Its length is 20 cubits and its width 10 cubits. Then he said to me, this is the curse that is going forth over the face of the whole land. Surely everyone who steals will be purged away according to the writing on one side and everyone who swears will be purged away according to the writing on the other side. I will make it go forth, declares Yahweh of hosts, and it will enter the house of the thief and the house of the one who swears falsely by my name. And it will spend the night within that house and consume it with its timber and stones. Then the angel who was speaking with me went out and said to me, lift up now your eyes and see what this is going forth. So I said, what is it? And he said, this is the ephah going forth. Again, he said, this is their appearance in all the land. The, the word appearance there literally is the word I. Uh, one version has iniquity. This is the iniquity. Uh, so uh, uh, that, that's uh, interpretive, but it's the appearance or the semblance. Uh, this is their appearance in all the land. And behold, a lead cover was lifted up, and this is a woman sitting inside the ephah. Then he said, this is wickedness. And he threw her down into the middle of the ephah and threw the lead weight on its opening. Then I lifted up my eyes and saw, and behold, two women were coming out of the wind in their wings, and they had wings like the wings of a stork. And they lifted up the ephah between the earth and the heavens. And I said to the angel who was speaking with me, where are they taking the ephah? Then he said to me to build a house for her in the land of Shinar. And when it is prepared, she will be set there on her own pedestal. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we recognize right away that these are uh, cryptic descriptions of things, and we ask for your spirit to come and open these things to our mind. Help us to learn the plain and simple lessons in the text and not to speculate. In Jesus' name, amen. So we come to the sixth and the seventh vision uh, out of eight. Uh, chapter six, one through eight is the last vision, and then chapter six, nine through 15, uh, one of the writers, several of them, call it a sign act. It's not, it's not a vision, but it's a sign of God acting. We looked at that passage already. It's concerning the branch, so it's concerning the Messiah. So the sixth of the visions is the vision of the flying scroll, and the next one after that is the vision of the woman in the ephah. Some uh, translate basket. Literally, it's ephah. It was a measure. Uh, these two visions are connected uh, by the pictures of Yahweh's dealing with sin. And uh, it follows the pattern of uh, exhortation and restoration of Haggai and Zechariah. Haggai addressed Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the people. 
and uh, he told them he was going to stir them up, the people, uh, Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the people. In Zechariah's vision, it's a little bit different. We saw a vision about Zechariah, uh, we saw a vision about Joshua first, then we saw a vision concerning Zerubbabel, and now this vision is concerning uh, the people. This points at the people, the activities of the people and their sins. He uh, points out their sins and a curse on their behavior and provides a picture of the banishment of sin out of uh, the land. Uh, a, a change is, is also in this uh, because it's not a positive thing. It's not about cleansing a priest from sin. It's not about Zerubbabel is going to finish the work. You're going to see him put the top stone up there and everybody's going to say, grace, grace. Uh, this is a picture of, uh, of sin. Uh, note, uh, you might call this a tale of two houses. Sinners, liars, and those who swear falsely will be cursed and destroyed in their house. The woman who's in the ephah is taken away by the two women and put in a foreign land, into a house, on the base, on a pedestal, and that's it. She's taken away and banished from Yahweh and his people, but put into a house. The question could be, why would you continue to live in sin after all of Yahweh's dealings with you? And we unfortunately see that in Ezra Nehemiah, we'll see it in Malachi when we get there. There was still a lethargy. There was still a sin. There were still people who were taking foreign wives. There were still people doing other things. And these passages remind us that even though there was a, a large judgment, that God can judge in other ways as well, and, and, and that he will do it. So the contents of the vision, first of all, is that there is continuity. Remember in the last division, he said he was stirred up or roused as a man who was roused out of sleep. Uh, this, it just seems to have continuity with chapter 4 because he says, I lifted up my eyes again. And it's a, a very familiar pattern. And there's the other familiar pattern in verse 2. Uh, what do you see? What do you see? And he says, he sees a large flying scroll, and he gives the dimensions, and the, the dimensions of it are 30 feet by 15 feet. It's more like a billboard uh, than a scroll. It's very large. In Habakkuk's prophecy, he tells Habakkuk to write down the vision, and he says, make sure it's in large letters so that the one who runs may read it, or that, that he who reads it may run and tell of the Chaldeans coming. He says, make it big. So this reminds us of that picture. It, it's huge, but it's also different than any scroll uh, that we have in Scripture. In Ezekiel 2, 9 through 10, there's a scroll with words of lamentation and mourning and woe, and, and writing was on the front and the back. In Jeremiah 36, you'll remember this entire chapter is about the writing of a scroll. And then the scroll uh, is destroyed. The king gets a hold of it, and it says he's taken a knife, and he's opening the scroll, and he cuts off a piece and throws it in the fire, and he cuts off another piece and throws it in the fire, and then the whole thing is destroyed, and God says, 
write it again, make another one. And, uh, but the intention of that scroll was to cause repentance and be a warning. It was, to, it was to tell the king, look, here's all the things God has against you, and he's taken it and cut in pieces and thrown it in the fire. It is noteworthy to think of Luke chapter 4. Jesus was handed a scroll. He opened it up to Isaiah, and he uh, uh, prophesied. In Revelation 5, there was a scroll. No one was found to open the scroll. But it's interesting, these are all man-sized scrolls. All these other scrolls in the Word uh, are man-sized. So the scroll in Zechariah is the largest scroll uh, recorded. It's the size of a billboard, as I said. It's huge, and it's written on both sides. Uh, there are some uh, that say, because uh, God says at verse 4, you swear falsely by my name, that that violates the first tablet of the law, and the second tablet, but that could be, but it was written on both sides. It's filled with words on both sides. Each side has a message, and the message is the, the picture of the curse as it is flying through the, the picture of the scroll, as it's flying through the air is this is a curse that's coming on the land. So it represents a curse. The angel said, this is a curse that goes out over the whole land. We'll see this picture over and over and over. In these two visions, everything is moving. Everything's going someplace. Deuteronomy chapter uh, 28. He says, if you do these things, I'll bring a curse. If you do this, I'll bring a curse. Uh, chapter 27 in Deuteronomy. There, cursed are all who do this. Cursed are all who do these things. Included are the sins that are mentioned, included are lying and, uh, and swearing falsely. And there's extensive judgment. So even after the exile, we're almost back in the same place. This giant scroll going through the air is speaking of a curse that's coming down. It goes out because of disobedience. And the scroll is a description of the sins uh, that will be described. There's uh, twofold sins, twofold characteristic sins, stealing and falsely swearing, and then included in verse 4 is falsely swearing by my name. Now they use the Lord's name. Now that's taking the Lord's name in vain. That brings in uh, uh, both uh, parts of the law, both tablets. Uh, uh, Dr. Phillips sees these uh, this three heads, sin is discovered, it's judged, and, you, and it's removed. That's what happens. It's discovered by the scroll. The sins are described. It's judged. The curse actually goes right inside their house and takes the timbers and the stones apart. And then the woman in the ephah is banished. Sin is removed. Uh, these were sins that became prevalent in this time. Uh, some of the people back from exile without a lot of goods or resources, possibly, began to steal or swear falsely. In some of our studies in James, you remember one of the themes of James is there was people who were poor. In the, the beginning of James, he says that the poor should exalt in his riches and the rich exalt in his poor. The, the poor should just exalt in his salvation. But you also remember that he, he charges the rich because they withheld wages from the poor. There's a battle there. And those people were dispersed as well. So you're dispersed to a land. 
You're new in town and now you're looking for a job. You're looking to have some kind of a way to sustain your life. And it was difficult. In this case, it was difficult. What happened to the resources? What happened to the fields, the lands? Literally in the, in the passages, they said they took the fields and they, they threw the stones that it took years to take out of the fields back onto the fields, put salt on them, destroyed buildings and, and everything. So they possibly backed up their uh, stealing with swearing. The, it's interesting that commentators say, well, these things always go together. Once you steal, you got to come up with a Right? Oh, you stole my stuff. No, I, I swear I didn't steal anything. Uh, they, they go together. Uh, they, they misinterpret things in dealing with other men. They use uh, swearing and vows, uh, including God's name. And uh, I believe it's Phillips. He says we should note as well that these are, are both mercantile sins. They, 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 uh, the, even the, the picture of the ephod, it's a, it's a measure of goods. Uh, that's what it was for. Uh, uh, he says mercantile sins. This is what you would use in business to uh, deceive somebody. Oh, this is this is the best cut of meat right here. This is uh, uh, oh yeah, this this is the finest uh, wool that you can buy. This is I I I spent thousands of dollars on this cloth to sell you, and that's how the, that's how they would do it to possibly to get ahead. And Yahweh is always concerned about how people conduct business. And he gave specific instructions. This is not new. Deuteronomy 25, 13. You shall not have in your bag differing weights, a large and a small. It should be a full and just measure that your days may be prolonged on the earth. You mean if I'm a good businessman, I'm a righteous businessman, I could live longer than a dishonest businessman? Yes, that's true. The bags... The bags are how, how you, how you uh, measured things, and mostly by scales, right? So you, you have to set the scale the right way. You have a, a piece that's the, the tear, how, how big your basket is or how you weight, and that offsets and you start even. But now I have a tricky weight. I have my 15-ounce weight, not my 16-ounce weight, and I put that on. Boop, there's a pound. Fill it up. What, what do you really have? It's like all our weights, right? A pound isn't a pound anymore, is it? And you say, no, that's right. A coffee, a pound of coffee isn't a pound. But now I just gained an ounce because out of my bag, I took the little weight. I put 15 ounces instead of 16. And every time I, every time I did it, I gained an ounce. You don't want to, right? You don't put half a pound. That looks too obvious. So that, that's the idea. And uh, God says, don't, don't have bags with different kinds of weights. Proverbs 20.10, differing weights and differing measures, both of them are an abomination to the Lord. Anybody who does that, that's an abomination. The old, the old tricky thing of the butcher with his finger on the scale or, or any other kind of thing like that. Proverbs 20, 23, a deceitful balance is not good. Proverbs 20 and verse 10, a short measure, which is cursed. God told these people about it. Uh, Micah 6, 11, can I purify wicked scales and a bag of deceptive weights? God says, you're deceiving people. Can I purify that? Can I have pleasure in that and bless that? Of course not. 
And there was instructions concerning swearing as well. These are familiar passages. It, it makes us uh, see that it's something almost that never stopped. Uh, Leviticus 19.12, You shall not swear by not my name falsely. But Matthew 5.33, uh, You heard it said, Make no oath at all by heaven or earth or Jerusalem. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Because to, to, to buttress my word, to make it sound that I was really telling the truth, I would say, I swear by Jerusalem. Uh, he, rebukes the, he rebukes the Pharisees in chapter 23 and exposes their hypocrisy. I swear by the temple. Oh, that's not good enough. Oh, oh, that's right. I'm supposed to swear by the gold that's in the temple. That really underscores my swearing. No, that's, that's hypocrisy. In the sanctuary, if you swear by the, by the gold, Jesus said, you make it that you're obligated. If you swear by the sanctuary, that's nothing. That's how they did it. That's how they played tricks. Oh, that's not, you know, when you're kids, you, you did that thing. Well, I had my hand, I, I had this thing crossed. My fingers were crossed behind my back when I made this promise. Tricky ways to get, to get rid of it. Uh, uh, God hates those things. Jesus said, you're fools and blind men. In the car business, I learned this. The deadly words. If I buy a car, I'm going to buy it from you. You'll never see the guy again. I'm not telling you a lie. You'll never see the guy again. You can trust me. You'll never see the person again. I dealt with a guy that stood there in front of his three kids and his wife and said, she will be here to buy the car tomorrow. And I never saw them again. God hates those things. And he was accountable to his wife and he was accountable to his kids because now they know my father's word is worthless. And for the rest of their life, if they remember, they could point back to that and said, you lied to that guy. You lied. Your word was not true. The commentator Webb says, stealing and perjury are both by their very nature deliberate. Deliberate. You steal deliberately. You swear deliberately. You, you do these things deliberately. It's not like you can do things by, by accident, but they're deliberate. And it's the eighth and ninth commandment at least, but when God's name is brought in, then it's a swearing by his name. And here comes the, here comes the result. So sin is exposed and, and now uh, judged. Everyone who steals, everyone who swears will be purged away. The Geneva Bible says they'll be cut off. The NIV says banished. That fits with the next vision. Wickedness is going to be purged out of the land and banished. The ESV says cleaned out. They'll be cleaned out of the nation. The sins are judged according to each size of those tables of the law. And then the execution of the curse. And this this is scary. This is chilling. I will make it go forth, D 
declares Yahweh of hosts. Now, that's not the chilling part because we've seen it over and over and over again that God says when judgment comes down, I am going to be the one who will do it. I am going to do it. I'll bring an army in. I'll curse your crops. I will do it. Here, he says it again. But notice it. I will make it go forth, the curse. The curse will enter both houses and spend the night. What a bad house guest to have a curse of God. And then it says it will consume those houses, both the timber and the stone. There's a positive command concerning this in Zechariah 8, verse 16 and 17, when God says, these are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another, render in your gates judgments that are true, and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another, and love no false oath. For all these things I hate, declares the Lord. So here he's given the picture that he's going to do it later on in a more typical prophecy. He's telling them, this is what I need you to do. T.V. Moore has one of the most chilling or scary quotes that I've ever seen in a commentary concerning this thing. He says, God has prepared a ministry of vengeance. There is something most vivid and appalling in this image of the hovering curse. There is, isn't it? Most vivid and appalling in this image of a hovering curse. It flies viewless and resistless. Now, it's not the scroll that's flying, it's the curse, right? It's the curse. It flies viewless and resistless, poising like a falcon over the prey, breathing a ruin the most dire and desolating. And when the blind and hardened offender opens his door to ill-gotten gains, this mystic roll with its fire tracery of wrath enters into his habitation and fastening upon his cherished idols begins its dread work of retribution and ceases not until the fabric of his guilty life has been totally and irremediably consumed. It's a mouthful, isn't it? But I read it over and over and over again because the curse comes in like something you can't see. The, the picture of a predatory bird is, is, is apropos. Rabbits and things like that, little stuff that's out in the field, they have no idea. They have no idea the falcon is coming. They have no idea the, the owl or the hawk is coming. And it just swoops down out of nowhere. And the person goes into their house of ill-gotten gains and this mystic roll with its fiery tracery of wrath enters right into the habitation and fastens upon its cherished idols. What a picture. Proverbs 2.22 says, The wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be torn away from it. There are many, many texts uh, that are this serious. The curse enters into the house. What an eerie feeling. 
I, I'm sure sometime in your life you felt that way. I, I felt like I was being watched. I felt like somebody else was in the house. I felt this eerie feeling. Well, well that's, that's the idea. This curse is in the house. The curse spends the night in the house. It consumes uh, the timbers and the stones. Now, maybe, maybe, most likely, this is, uh, this is all picturesque, but God really did put the curse on those people. Uh, even if the, stimber, t the timbers and the stones didn't literally fall down, a cursed house is a ruined, destroyed house. We think of our homes as secure. Uh, some of the uh, writers, including uh, John Trapp, said uh, people think that in their homes they can put like a little moat around it. And they could protect their house. And many of them say there, there is no way to protect your house from the Lord. There's no way that we can escape God. It reminded me of carbon monoxide. And they say this is odorless and, and colorless. And you don't even know it. And the next thing, you're dead from breathing it. It's a, God's picturing a presence in a house that, that just destroys uh, Proverbs 3.33, the curse of Yahweh is on the house of the wicked one, but he blesses uh, the abode uh, of the righteous. So that's the first vision. The first vision is the giant scroll, which lists the two sins, and the curse goes out, enters the homes of those people, and destroys them. Uh, the woman uh, comes next. These two visions, they're separated by the angel speaking. There's just a, uh, a transition there in verse 5. Then the angel who was speaking with, we, with me went out and said to me, lift up your eyes, familiar pattern, and see what is this. And he says, what is it? He doesn't even, doesn't even seem to recognize it. Uh, lift up your eyes. See, what is this going forth? There, there's more movement. Another moving object. And he says, what is it? The answer from the angel is, this is the ephah going forth. Now, an ephah was just a measure about three-fifths of a bushel. That's the word that's used in the Hebrew. It's just, a, it's just like a basket. It's just a, a container. And here's the container in the air. Well, now, first we see a flying scroll. Now we see this ephah going forth. And he says, this is their appearance or their resemblance in all the land. The flying scroll represented the curse. Uh, the ephah represents what's in the ephah, we'll see, is wickedness. This is what's going out through all the land, he says. Uh, the curse and the ephah are both moving and going about the whole land. The reason for that is that sin always spreads. It always spreads. Since an ephah is a, a unit of measure, we might be thinking about also those who would lie or swear falsely in their business. Because I could take, I could take an ephah and I could say, well, I'll, I'll sell you two ephahs of this grain for this much money. So the ephah is a reminder of those things that were, were going on. And uh, their business dealings. Oh, uh, this is the finest Five, five ephahs of this or two of this, and, and I'm using the measure that was common to them and, and cheating people. Uh, it's not only moving, 
but there's surprising contents, isn't it? You, you may have been surprised like that. When you purchase something, and you purchase something, you saw it somewhere, and you purchase it, and you open it up, and you're like, this is a piece of junk. I didn't order anything like this. Or you get something, and it just doesn't seem to work at all like they said it was going to work. But that's what this ephah is. What do you use an ephah for? Not carrying women. You use it in business. It's a measure. And here's a woman inside the ephah. It's, 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 it's surprising. And it's not good grain or flax or seed or anything. The angel said, this is wickedness. Now, it's nothing against women. And there's no time to go into all the things that people think it is that you can't even do it. But he says it's wickedness. The woman is sin personified. Now, potentially, this woman and the two other women are, are represented there because there's not many men left after the exile or there's a disproportionate number of women. You remember the passage in Isaiah where the woman, seven women say to one man, please, you don't have to give us money. Just say you're my husband. Because the Babylonians came and who did they kill? They killed mostly the men, the, the, the guys that went out to fight. Who did they take away in, in the exile? Who did they leave behind according to Jeremiah? They left behind the weakest people. That's only potentially a, a picture. And then the next thing that comes is on the ephah, there's a lead weight that holds the top down and keeps wickedness personified from escaping and uh, bound up in, in the ephah. And it shows that God is in control of evil. It, it, back in those days, you had to protect your goods. Uh, if, you go to the, if you go to the hummingbird pantry, they don't leave everything out in the sun. Uh, it would be destroyed. You'd be handing out limp uh, uh, fruit, and you'd be handing out meat that was cooked, half-cooked. Uh, you can't leave it open. So in the market, you didn't leave an ephah open all the time. What's in there? Oh, that's my grain. Take the lid off and show. This is the grain. You can't leave it out. It's going to perish. The, the sun will, will beat it down. So there's this weight on top. The angel controls everything as God controls everything. There's a weird, this, I shouldn't say weird, but this progression. He reveals the woman, casts her back in, puts the cover on, and throws the lead weight back on top. And then comes the removal of sin. And it only gets more interesting. Now, two women show up. He lifts up his eyes again. Two women shows up, and look at the details. Two women coming out swiftly. They had wings like a stork, and they lifted up the ephah in midair. Once again, a picture of movement. What was the scroll doing? Flying. What is the curse doing? It's going forth throughout the land. What is Yahweh going to do? Make it go forth. What did the ephah do? It's going forth. What did the women coming out with the wind in their wings? They were going forth. And then verse 10, they take this long trip to Shinar, 
as if it was already in progress. It says they lifted up between heaven and earth, but by the time by the time Zechariah s, they're taking it to to, to Shinar. So now we see two women who have stork-like wings, and a stork is a, a large bird with with powerful wings, and a stork can migrate very far. I did look up some migratory patterns. They are over there in that land that wasn't, that wasn't odd. And there was one note that rather than cross the, the Mediterranean uh, uh, Sea, they could go around and stay over land. So they would travel farther, but that's where they would go. Just like migratory birds in our day. Well, you don't have it here. I don't know where birds go, but, but our birds in New Jersey always came down here. But, but, but that's where they went. They went far north to the south. And they just come out of nowhere. But the wind is in these large wings, and it gave them strength and power to these women to just swoop down, pick up the ephah, pick it up, and fly it away. And nobody knows what these two women represent. To do their, to do their job, you could say, well, yeah, you would need some strong wings to get from here to there. And somebody might say, well, it's law, it's the law and justice, and it's this and that. Somebody said, it's Ezra and Nehemiah. I just say, I really have no idea. But you could see the picture. Everything in these prophecies is moving, and they're no different. The ephah's moving, and they come swiftly with wings uh, and the wind, and pick it up and take it away. They get to Shinar and build a house in the land of Shinar. That's not a good thing. One of the prophecies that we looked at, a number of them actually, say, come out of the north. Get out of there. God said, I sent you there, but don't make that your home. Get out of there. It's a pagan land. They were judged because they took the, the pagan people right in their backyard and they followed them. And God's still trying to warn them, get out of the north. But where does this go? Right back to the north. Uh, in, the, in the expansion and the spread of Noah's sons, Genesis 10.10, some people spread out to the land of Shinar. Genesis 11.12, once everybody got settled in the land of Shinar, they had this great plan to build this tower. And the Tower of Babel was right there. And... Daniel chapter 1 and verse 2, he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. That's what's in Babylon. That's where the ephah went. That's where the wickedness went. The woman who is wickedness personified is permanently banished away from the presence of the Lord, sitting on a base or a pedestal in a house with a heavy weight on top of the lid. That's the picture. What is going to happen to people's sins? And I'll just end with basic truths from these visions because you can't, you can't figure out what everything is. God is concerned with individual sins, not just leaders' sins. That's right there. How is a woman wickedness personified? But he's concerned about anybody 
who steals or swears falsely. Secondly, God's revealed will is God's revealed will, whether it's the Ten Commandments or a scroll, whether it's just what he says you should do, like chapter 8. Here's what I say you should do. That is what we should do. It's, it's binding on men and declarative uh, from God. This also teaches us about patterns of sin in different people's lives. And everyone in this room has had something stolen from them. I would not hesitate to say, I would think everybody in this room has stole something that didn't belong to them. And everybody in this room has had somebody lie to them or swear falsely. And I wouldn't be surprised if everybody in this room also has lied or tell, told falsehood to somebody else. It's, it's our sins. It teaches us about patterns of sin. And, and God says, I, I don't want it. God knows where we live. Two houses. Two houses. One, the curse comes in, gets in the door. Remember, TV's more, TV Moore's chilling thing. All their idols are in that house. All the things they gained. You remember Zacchaeus, he said, everything I stole, I'm giving back four times. And what did Jesus say? Salvation has come to this house. TV Moore says, no, all those things in your house that are idols, the curse has come after you. It's not only going to stay there and be with you, but the timbers and the stones are going to fall down. God knows where we live. Look at the beginning of Haggai. You went to get wine, but there wasn't any. You went to get your wages, but what was in your pocket? A hole. You went to get this, but that. God can curse. He knows where we live. He knows, he knows our sins. It teaches us about patterns of sin in people's lives and our lives. God knows where we live. Uh, also, God knows what's in the ephah. Think about, think about people that steal and people that lie. Oh, I put it over on them. Used to hear that at the dealership too on the other side, right? Oh, we got that guy for the finance. We got him. So they jack it up and they'd say, well, sorry, Mr. Hillis, the, the best we could get you was 6.5%. And he'd say, well, I'm glad at least you got me a new car, finance. And now they, what they had done is they, he was qualified to get 3.5. And they'd come with that story. Well, we worked hard, but we got this for you. It's just lies and swearing falsely. It's, it's stealing from somebody. God knows what's in the ephah. The, the lid comes off. What is it? Wickedness. And we would say, I didn't know that was in the ephah. I didn't expect that. Those contents are something I would never imagine. And in our dealings with people, that's how it is. Don't worry. If I buy a car, I'm going to buy it from you. Well, that's good. I, I think I was fooled by that once. And then you realize, no, I'll never see that person again. The ephah doesn't have the contents that we saw, but God knows. And the picture is also that God can deal with sin swiftly. Everything in these two prophecies is, is moving. 
The scroll's moving. God says, I'm going to bring it to pass. Here comes the ephah. That's moving. Here comes two women with wings, and the wind is aiding them to, to remove sin and get it away. God is able to deal with sw sin swiftly. The, the next thing, though, is God is able to deal with sin permanently. There's more than one writer said, this is a picture of eternal judgment and damnation. It might as well be. How is a woman going to get off a pedestal with a lead weight on the top in her house in Shinar? She's not. The picture is you're not getting away. And if we can hear those words that Jesus says, there'll be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And picture this woman banging on this thing. I can't get out. I can't get out. God is able to deal with sin swiftly. God is able to deal with sin uh, permanently. This passage also teaches us in both cases, the scroll and the woman, there is a point of sin that is a point of no return. In our own individual sins and temptations, we know that, right? There's, there's like a, a peak or a balance point to do this sin or not to do this sin or do this sin, and it tips the balance over. But there can be a point of no return. David learned about the point of no return. Look at that woman bathing over there. Boy, she looks nice. And the next thing you know, his soul, all his communion with God was destroyed. They say for possibly about a year, he just lived in that. Destroyed. A couple of the Psalms tell you the, the pathos, really, that was going on. His communion broken with God. There is a point of no return. One of the scariest sermons I ever heard was on the, that passage. The guy said, sin will take you farther than you ever thought you would go and then tell you you can never come back. There's no way back. There is a point of no return. And then finally, and some of the pictures I think where the females are, God doesn't need an army to execute judgment on sin. The Babylonians don't have to come. The Assyrians don't have to come and destroy the land. God could just do this or do that or do this. He can choose to judge people in all these different ways. Think of Nabal. And the, uh, I believe it was the David's men and Nabal's men. Could we get some stuff for provisions? And Nabal says, no way. And Abigail comes and says, I'll talk to him. Nabal's his name and he's a fool. And that's what he does. And she goes back and says, if I didn't intervene, you would have been dead. And what happens to him? He just dies right there. Ananias and Sapphira doing exactly the same thing. Oh. Well, let's say we sold it for $100 and, and we'll keep the other $30. Okay, good idea. How much did you sell it for? Oh, I'm putting this at the, here's my donation. How sad, right? Here's my donation. Did you sell it for this price? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Boom, just like that. Think of anybody that died quickly. Think of Herod later on in Acts. He's preaching and teaching and giving this speech. And they say, wow, this isn't the voice of, 
a man. This is a voice of a God. And he takes the glory to himself. And what happens to him? He's dead. Worms come. God doesn't need an army to deal with sin. He doesn't need Babylonians or Assyrians. He can do it in subtle ways. and ways that just takes this person out. So those are... That it was actually nine things, but nine basic truths that revealed these, these are difficult things to interpret. And who's who and who's who. Uh, but as we've said by, about prophecy and vision on the past, in the past, if you know the basic things of Scripture, they're right there. Sin and judgment and God's power and his sovereignty. Everything else, it's right there. And so let's pray now and ask God to write these words on our hearts. Heavenly Father, we're thankful once again for this prophecy of Zechariah. The, the, the things that are hard to understand may be hard to understand till the day of eternity, Lord, but the things that are clear are clear. Help us to be those who are, uh, are not dealing falsely. Help us to be honest and have full integrity in our hearts. Help us, Lord, to uh, see these things as warnings. Uh, we ask to have, that you would have mercy on those who live in these things, uh, deliver them from sin. We know so many around us who practice these sins, uh, and we ask for, for deliverance. Write your word on our hearts, Lord. Help us to walk in it at all times. In Jesus' name, amen.